Okay, hello, and welcome back to episode 6 of Cinema at First Sight. If you're new here, hello and welcome. The premise of this podcast is I like to review movies and TV shows based on my initial impression of them. So for TV shows, I'll watch the pilot episode, and for movies, I will watch the first half, pause it, call it a day, and make a judgement call. So today, I've decided to tackle the Amazon Prime original series called The Wilds. And the title, spoiler alert, is very, very apt. To be honest, before I watched it, I didn't really know much about it. I hadn't even really seen much advertising for it, except weirdly at the movies. Like before I'd go and see a movie, there'd be a cinema trailer for Amazon Prime Originals. But apart from that, radio silence. But I guess it's time to get into it. The first question I have for myself, the classic, is it a rewatch or is it a first time watch? This is definitely a first time watch. It came out in early December, I think, and the day that I am recording this, it is mid-December. So I'm pretty up on it if I do say so myself. And now I figure I'll just give you a low-key detailed overview of the basic plot points. So the series is about a bunch of teenage girls who are supposed to be en route to a feminist self-empowerment retreat in Hawaii called Dawn of Eve. If that name's not off-putting, I don't know what is. However, things go awry when they become stranded on a deserted island in the middle of nowhere when their plane suddenly crashes. If you're a TV buff, definitely think Lost. Or if you're into classic novels, think Lord of the Flies if it was given the 2016 Ghostbusters treatment. So the pilot begins with a flash forward to 17 year old Leah who is the first of nine girls being interviewed by who we assume to be some kind of police investigators or trauma specialists post island rescue. So she goes on to detail her life before the Dawn of Eve trip and delves into how everything began to go down on the island. Spoiler alert, my brief retelling of the plot is definitely going to be more chronological than the pilot, but just work with me and we'll get through this together. So we learn from her backstory that Leah is, by all accounts, a normal, bland, dairy milk drinking 17 year old girl who strikes up an illicit and highly illegal relationship with the author of a book she's studying at school. He's probably in his 30s and she tells him she's 18 but she's gasp not and they hook up and when someone anonymously sends him her birth certificate he finds out she's not actually of age and he rages and completely ghosts her, leaving a completely distraught and confused 17 year old Leah behind. Not knowing how to deal with her teen angst, her parents decide to send her on the Dawn of Eve retreat, which brings us to the problem at hand. Nine girls board a private jet to what should be a low-key culty feminist vacay. Everyone's come in pairs except for one girl, Jeanette, which does initially just putting it out there raise suspicions. So Shelby, a highly religious Texan pageant queen, tries to get everyone to talk and initiate some icebreakers and get to know each other. And this is where we start to meet the rest of the main players, albeit very, very briefly. So here's everyone and everything we know so far. There's Dot, who's sarcastic and wears cargo pants. There's Fatten, who's sexually liberated, but also seemingly superficial and doesn't quote understand feminism. There's Rachel, who's an elite diver and also pretty much just type A personified. She's incredibly bossy and literally weighs out her cake on an app on her phone. I didn't even know that existed. Pro tip. 
there's Rachel's sister Nora whose entire personality so far seems to be that she's really smart and has a really good memory. There's Martha who honestly is pretty bland so far but I don't know she seems nice I guess. And her best friend Tony who's into basketball and unapologetically feisty. And finally, there is Jeanette, the only girl who came alone, who is incredibly annoying and won't stop talking about Instagram and social media and how she unironically likes pink and how she really wants everyone to play Never Have I Ever. I know none of these things sound particularly annoying, but trust me, the way she says it, they really are. Then, the event we've all been waiting for, the plane crashes and everyone starts freaking out in their own unique way. Some people pray. Some people binge on cake and some people chain smoke, you know, to each their own. Jeanette, we find out, is severely injured, so Leah drags her to shore to try and save her. And they work out there that every one of them weirdly has knowledge of CPR, which is kind of the first clue we get that things may not be as coincidental or accidental as they seem. Jeanette then, by some miracle, wakes up and seems fine for a red hot second and apologizes to Leah, even though she's seemingly done nothing wrong. Maybe she's just apologizing for her personality or maybe this is incredibly weird behavior. Time will tell. Dot then finds her very waterlogged phone but chucks it in some sand and somehow it starts working again. So all of the girls take turns trying to call someone for help but literally no one picks up. Again, clearly something weird is going on. The phone then dies and simultaneously so does Jeanette. She just straight up drops dead. Her re-emergence was very much short-lived. They then all bury her while singing Pink's Raise Your Glass to honor her and then get drunk on some mini alcohol bottles left over on the plane and again honor her by playing a round of Never Have I Ever. Then nighttime hits and they all go to sleep. However, Leah weirdly hears a phone ring and finds out that it's buried with Jeanette. So she digs it up, uses it to call the one number she knew, the 30-year-old pedophiles, and he picks up and tells Leah to stop contacting him. And before she gets a chance to tell him that she and eight other girls are stranded on an island after their plane crashed, he hangs up. It's an incredibly frustrating scene and honestly, I'm still reeling. Leah then, in the present, asks if he ever contacted the authorities once he heard the news broke, and the lack of response we receive from the federal officers, I'm gonna take as a whopping no. God, boys are toxic. Then, at the very end of the episode, Rachel Griffiths rocks up. I don't know what her character name is, so I'm just gonna call her Rachel Griffiths. But she's in some kind of corporate office building and gets told that there was a mishandling by the transition team and that one of their operatives is dead. She then watches back the clip of all of the girls singing Raise Your Glass as they bury Jeanette and says that everything is going to be okay because they've still got another operative on the ground. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is explosively where the episode ends. I, it's crazy. It's insane. I have so many questions, but oh my god, okay, let's, let's get into it. First question off the rank. Favorite slash most exciting slash most pivotal moment. I have three most pivotal moments. Obviously, when the plane crashes and they're stranded on the island. I mean, it changes everything and sets up what the entire series is about. Without this crash, there is no show. It would just be a bunch of teenage girls at a day spa, which, to be honest, I wouldn't be against. 
And then the next pivotal moment is when Jeanette dies. I feel like that's when it starts getting real. It's definitely a sobering moment for everyone. It reminds the girls and also us viewing that the stakes are incredibly high. It also highlights that it's a life or death situation. Emphasis on death. And then finally, the arguably most pivotal moment is the end, where we find out that the whole thing is set up by Rachel Griffiths for some unknown reason, and that Jeanette was actually one of two operatives the whole time. Obviously that's a crazy bombshell, one that I'm sure slash very much hope will be the premise of the rest of the series. However, in terms of favourite moments, I actually don't know if I have any one in particular, but honestly, I'm just enjoying the ride. I'm really liking the show. The premise is solid. I was initially very worried that it was going to be too cliche or too like other things I've seen which sound similar and while yeah it's clearly drawn inspiration from Lord of the Flies and is kind of plot wise similar to Netflix's short-lived series The Society which also involved a bunch of teenagers stranded in what their case was an alternate universe without any adults in a situation that was most likely set up. It is definitely its own thing in its own right. This lures you in pretty immediately and gets you questioning and theorizing hardcore. And while yeah it is kind of intense sometimes and oh, full of teen angst, it also has quite a few funny moments which I very much appreciate. I like moments of levity to soften it because it means it just doesn't take itself too seriously, which is always good in my books. I also really think that the cast is very good. Upon googling it, a lot of them are Australian, so part of me, I'm not gonna lie, is kind of like, okay, you wanted a bunch of young actresses and you're sourcing them from Australia. I'm right here. Why can't I be in this show? But also they're really good and I'm not begrudging their success, so good for them. Also, it has been renewed for a season two, so producers, directors, I'm here doing nothing. I'll send you a self-tape of me doing nothing in quarantine, because that's basically like being on a deserted island. You spot the difference, games are getting hotter and hotter. But moving on to my least favourite moments, or what I think has been least pivotal so far. At this point, to be honest, I don't really have any. I guess Leah's backstory of her dealing with her heartbreak doesn't seem as important as the fact that nine girls are stranded on an island in some sort of weird corporate setup. But also at the same time, I think the show is trying to highlight that when you are a teenager, the things that you go through really do feel like the end of the world, even when you are experiencing what kind of is the end of the world. Leah even asks in her interview with the federal agents what's so great about the lives they left behind slash uh, going back to. I mean sure that's a very teen angst what was me kind of mindset but I'm sure it's one that most 17 year olds have had at some point if they're incredibly self-involved. So basically what I'm saying is even though in the grand scheme of things the flashbacks may not seem as pivotal as the major life-threatening events that unfold later, what is pivotal and important is relative. Especially in the eyes of angsty, overly emotional, self-involved youths. I say this like I'm an incredibly evolved person, I was literally a teenager three years ago. I need to get off my high horse. But moving right along to favourite characters. At this point, everyone, except for Leah, who we've got to know more in depth, is kind of just a bunch of stereotypes chucked together on a plane, which is surely fodder for great drama to come. However, if every episode is a detailed analysis of each individual character, these stereotypes I think are definitely going to turn out to simply be a facade and everyone will become more nuanced and complicated. But so far, based on my initial impression, I would say I guess Leah probably is one of my favourite characters. I mean, yeah, she's whiny and clingy, but she's a teenage girl and the 30-year-old pedophile definitely did her dirty. 
And as I said, the entire first episode is about her, so we get to know her the best. So at the moment, she's one of my favorites, though I do maybe suspect that this might change as I get to know everyone else. I don't know. But at the moment, I'm going to keep her up there. I'd also say another one of my favorite characters so far, based on very initial impressions, is Shelby, the southern beauty queen. I mean, yeah, she's kind of annoying in that she wants to bond everyone together two minutes into a flight, but she seems really, really nice, which kind of goes against her stereotype. You'd think she loves the Lord, she's from the South, maybe she's going to be judgy and too Bible belty to be a decent human being, but she's actually super, super nice to everyone. So I appreciate that she's not as stereotypical as she could be. She also has two of her front teeth missing, so has dentures that she has to put in, which I guess the show has given the character to humanize her because, oh, look, she's got quirky teeth. She's not like everyone else. Or maybe it's just trying to compensate for the fact that the actress who plays her is incredibly pretty. So it's just trying to take her down a peg. But right off the bat, we've got something that she feels is a flaw and something she's insecure about. And I like a character with layers. Also, I think the things we're supposed to find annoying about her character, I honestly find funny. Would I want to be on an island with her in real life while she's literally quoting the Bible and singing thy word? Probably not, but for the purposes of televisual viewing, I'm into it. And I also guess another one of my favorite characters is Dot. We see her very, very briefly. She pretty much gets no screen time. Well, not yet, at least. But so far, she's funny and very sarcastic and kind of an icon. The only evidence of this is that while the plane is crashing, she straight up starts chain smoking. That's enough to get her in my good books. And now moving right along to least favorite characters. Again, I don't really know anyone well enough to fully demonize them, except for Jeanette. She's so annoying, like ridiculously annoying. Her character is basically just kind of a Disney Channel stereotype of peppy type A teenager. I know we're not supposed to speak ill of the dead, but she sucks and is someone I definitely would not want to be stranded on an island with, especially indefinitely. If someone took one for the team and murdered her, I wouldn't be surprised. But also at the end, we do find out that she's an operative. So is that even her real personality? Who knows? Probably not. I mean, is Jeanette even her real name? Who is this random corpse? Honestly, we have no idea. Maybe Jeanette in operative mode was a goddamn delight, but in the capacity that we meet her, incredibly grating. And even though she's only in it for the last like two minutes of the episode, Rachel Griffiths, a least favorite character because clearly she's doing something super dodgy and shifty. What is that exactly? I have no idea, you tell me, but I don't trust her. I guess she hasn't done anything explicitly evil or offensive as of yet, except for most likely orchestrating a fake plane crash and actually, I guess, killing a girl. Never mind, she's definitely not a good person. But I think that's only the beginning. There is definitely a storm brewing, and I think she brewed it. Now we're going to move on to a thick category, which is storylines that I think will be expanded upon or think should be expanded upon, and what I want to see more of slash what I want to see less of. Obviously, I want to know about everyone else's backstory. Leah is the most fleshed out character so far because we got to see her entire life before the plane crash and what led her to this point. So I want to see the same thing from every other character, particularly the ones that we've only met briefly and don't really know anything about yet, like Nora and Martha, who I honestly keep forgetting are there. And what I want to see less of? If she weren't dead, I'd say Jeanette. But also now that we know that she was a secret operative, maybe I actually want to see more of her. I'm confused. I have no idea. 
But the main thing I want to see more of are the burning questions I have answered. Such as, why are they on the island? What's up with Rachel Griffiths? She's clearly responsible for what's happening, but why? What's her motive? Also, where are the flight crew? There seemed to be a pilot and there was definitely a guy coming around and handing out cake. Where did they go? Another thing I want to know is clearly because we see Leah being interviewed at the end, at least one of them makes it off the island. So how does this happen? And does anyone else manage to escape and survive? And if so, who? Also, are they really safe and off the island? Or are the people interviewing Leah not actually federal officers or investigators or whatever, but are they working with Rachel Griffiths doing whatever she's doing? We don't know. Are they still trapped? Is this a trap within a trap? I'm freaking myself out. I just don't know. And this is a big one. Who's the other operative? Which one of the other girls is a secret agent? At the moment, my money's on Shelby. No one can be that happy and optimistic in the face of death. Also, who knows that many scripture passages by heart? Even a priest uses the Bible as a prompt. And my final question isn't really as important, I guess, but who sent the 30-year-old author guy Leah's birth certificate? I mean, it could have been someone at school who somehow knew about the two of them hooking up, or was it Rachel Griffiths or someone on her team? Did they send it to him to get him to break up with her and send Leah spiraling so that she could be a part of whatever operation they're working on? I feel like maybe that's a bit far-fetched, but there are nine episodes to go, so who knows? Actually, nine episodes and probably ten more after that because it has been renewed for a second season. So anything could happen. Now we're moving on to most problematic moments. I do have a couple of things written down about the character of Fatten because some of what she says is a bit problematic. For instance, I touched on earlier that she said she doesn't quote believe in feminism because in her words, apparently feminists say that she can't be a girly girl, but she thinks that that would make her more of a feminist because that means she's twice the girl. I mean, obviously everything is wrong with what she just said. Excuse the rant I'm about to go on, but performing gender in accordance with traditionally feminine traits and ideals doesn't make you more of a girl, nor does it make you less of a feminist. You can reject or adopt whatever traditionally masculine or feminine traits you want and identify as whatever gender you want, and none of these have any impact on each other. You can do or not do all of the above and still be a feminist because the literal definition of feminism is just the belief that men and women are equal. Thank you for listening to my micro rant on gender v biological sex in the 21st century landscape of intersectional feminism. Fatten also makes the assumption that Dot is a lesbian because she's wearing cargo pants and then Dot has to defend herself by saying that she's only wearing them because she's a fan of storage. Okay, one, that's iconic. A great line, another reason to love Dot. And two, again, obviously wearing clothes that society's deemed to be traditionally masculine or traditionally feminine has no impact on the gender you identify with, nor your sexuality. In fact, gender performance and sexuality are two completely different things and are on completely different spectrums. I'm going to stop ranting now and call it a day because saying all of this, do I think that the show is actually remotely problematic? Definitely not. I don't think that the writers hold these ignorant views regarding gender and sexuality. I just think that they're writing a certain character's flawed viewpoint, one that is certainly shared by many other uneducated people in real life. Also, these lines are said in a comedic context, and I'm not too up myself and uptight to not see that. So the fact that Fatten's wrong and being problematic is definitely a point of comedy. Because laughing at the stupidity of others is always a good time.
And now we're moving into defining what category of viewing the wilds falls into. The three I have are trash, meaning it's terrible, there are no redeeming qualities, I want to turn it off. Treasure, meaning that it's genuinely good and I'm enjoying it and I don't feel remotely bad for enjoying it because it is well made. Or guilty pleasure, meaning that I'm into it but I'm embarrassed to admit that I'm into it because it's kind of trashy. I would say that The Wilds, at least based on this pilot, is kind of teetering between Guilty Pleasure and Treasure at the moment. I feel like this series could go either way, to be honest. As it progresses, the status will become more clear, because it could get better and more intriguing, or it could pull a Riverdale and jump the shark and become trashier and trashier, so I think time will tell. But as of now, it's kind of in between, but leaning more towards Treasure, because I'm in. I'm lured. Like I said, like the society, but way less vague and with a more detailed character focus, which I definitely prefer. I have a lot of questions that I am way more optimistic will actually get answered in this show. And now viewing style. Who would I watch it with? Where would I watch it? Who would I not watch it with? And basically what is the least and most ideal viewing circumstance? I would say that The Wilds is pretty broad. I probably wouldn't watch it with a young audience because I could see that they could either be A, a bit confronted or afraid because there are some adult themes, like for instance the fact that their plane crashes and they're stuck on a literal island, or B, someone younger might just be a bit confused and not really pick up on the nuances of anything that's going on. But apart from that, I can kind of imagine watching this with any audience. I'd watch it with my parents, which I did, I watched it with my dad, or I'd watch it with friends or I'd watch it alone. It's really ideal in any circumstance as long as you're like, I'd say 14 and over. So will I keep going with the rest of the season? Definitely, 100%. I'm hardcore lured. As you already know, I have a lot of questions that I would love to see answered or at least love to see starting to be answered. My major problem with the society was that by the end of season one, I knew pretty much exactly the same amount I did when the show started, which was absolutely nothing. So while I don't expect the wilds to neatly tie up every single question I have, especially considering it has been renewed for a second season, I would love for it to address them and clear up some things or maybe even prompt more questions as we find out more and more. Basically, I just want there to be some sort of takeaway and plot progression. So long story short, yeah, Yes, I will definitely be continuing, and at this rate, I see myself knocking over the whole first season in a day. Maybe two if I'm feeling mild and decide to sleep. Oh my god, I'm sorry about the unintentional pun. Actually, no, I'm not, that's kind of iconic. And in terms of giving this show a rating out of 5 based on the pilot, I'm gonna say a 3.5 slash 4. There's definitely room as the series progresses for it to become a 4. It's kind of really good. It has an interesting plot, yes, with elements we've certainly seen before, but there's enough new stuff and character intrigue going on to make it its own thing. It's also not just a straight up tense drama the whole time. There are definitely lighter and more comedic moments and I'm very much into it. I want to see what happens and I think you should too. So if you have an Amazon Prime subscription, give it a red hot watch ASAP. And that is pretty much all I have for you. Thank you so much for listening to more rants than I was expecting to go on in this episode, so thank you for sticking with me. And I will talk to you next week when I review something else. I don't know, you and I will both see. Bye.